Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Seria Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Welcome to the Seria Chronicles Q&A episode where we answer the questions that you kindly sent us. And we've had a lot this week, so thank you so much for all of them. We've picked a few, so uh, I'm going to throw to my wonderful co-host. Hello, Nikki Bandini. It's been a while. Hi, Mina. How are you? I feel like you've missed me a lot. <laughs> I have. I have. <laughs> um, so let's start with the first question, because I feel like we could have a bit of a love and buy. I, I shan't go into that. Um, shunt. <laughs> I shunt. And anyway, so shunt. our first question comes from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> um, it's Nick McGinn. Oh, we're doing accents tonight. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I wish he was from Flushing. I really like that accent. But anyway, yeah, so Nick. Nick asks, hello, enjoy the show. Thank you so much. I shall do a limerick. Um, I was curious to see what you both believe it would take for Milan to feel comfortable competing in the higher tier of the European transfer market again, or to be willing to take a less than stellar compromise to keep quality players like Kessier and Donnarumma. Multiple years of Champions League or a string of Scudettos? Question mark. Would a marked improvement only come from something as large as a renewed stadium deal or the restructuring of Italian football? as a whole so a really meaty question there for you sort of to dig it's your a big question yeah it's a lot to go through because oh, we could be here for hours yeah I mean this is this is a question with layers I think um you know first of all where are we going to draw our line of the higher tier of the European transfer market um second of all you know um what are we sort of talking about in terms of I guess what would qualify you know is it is the question, what would it take for them to go out and sign one big superstar? Or is the question, what would it take for them to be competing year on year with the likes of PSG or Man City for the biggest players? Because honestly, that's that's not going to happen at all unless Milan suddenly get an extraordinarily wealthy benefactor who's willing to, to sort of fund it. Because structurally, the club cannot compete with the richest clubs in the world now and that's just an unfortunate wait, wait, reality on. of the way that we've even worked. if they win the Champions League like he's saying or playing there several times or a string of Scudetti if you're backed by um, a petrol state 
then your financial situation is different to any club that is tied to winning things. That's just a fact. Mm. And it's also true that Premier League prize money now is so big um, compared to other European leagues that, for instance, Premier League clubs have far lower reliance than, than other clubs in Europe do on the Champions League prize money. So it is very hard to imagine a scenario in which Milan will ever be on that level. But that's a really small level, right? That's a very small top, top slice. Now, Juventus aren't in that category, but Juventus managed to go out and spend 100 million euros and sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, our timing here is particular because, of course, as we talked about on the main show this week, Juventus are currently being investigated. I don't want to get into that in a big way because that's not the question, but of course, it just to give some context. Do I think that Elliot management would see some value in signing young, really high quality players who will have a market going forwards. Yeah. If you keep qualifying for the Champions League, if you get through to the latter stage of the Champions League, I can see that that point being reached. I don't know that, I don't think it would be advisable and I don't think it would be likely given Elliot management's um, sort of interest in the club. They are in the end an investment group that expect to make return out of the club. I can't see them making a Ronaldo type transfer, but perhaps a better analogy would be, could Milan get to a place where they could make a Delict type type transfer? Now Delict hasn't worked out so great, but you get the sort of thing I'm talking about, a younger player who you're seeing as an investment for the future rather than just being a, a, a quick purchase to get somewhere. I could see that. I could see that happening if they were playing in the Champions League for consistently for a couple of years, maybe two or three years, I could see them getting to that point of confidence again. Because I think the one thing to say about Milan is compared to so many other clubs, certainly compared to um, even like, um, well, they're not in this season, but in Napoli, certainly in Atalanta, even, even perhaps Roma, who have a pretty big brand, Milan have actually got a huge global brand. They've got one of the most powerful global brands um, in in Europe, uh, even despite recent struggles. Uh, they have, I would say, historically had a much stronger international brand than Juventus did. They, they were the biggest Italian brand internationally, really. So I think their scope being in Europe and succeeding in Europe for rebuilding that is, is bigger than anyone's because they have been a team that was historically one of the most successful in international competition, right there with Real Madrid for a very long time. And I think that the fans that they earned in that period still exist. I think they're still there all over the world. And so the revenue streams could open up to them more than other clubs if they can get a winning cycle going again. So maybe in two or three years, if they're they're in there winning things and being in the Champions League, things could start to open up even more than I've imagined to this point. It was interesting. Oh, there's so much to come back on on this. Um, there is. But it was interesting when Antonio was, Conte was saying that he gets irritated when people tell him, oh, you always demand these really expensive players because I give them worth. And and truly speaking, I was I was having this discussion with Juve at the time and I said, you know, what what is the money that's required? And the money that you make as an Italian club in the Champions League, sometimes you make more than the actual winner. I mean, Juventus collected so much money from the Champions League that they had a really good war chest to start buying the players that they did eventually start buying. And I really want to be strong when I make this point, 
buying great players doesn't win you the great trophies. It, it's about it's about the team ethic and the philosophy of the club, and it shouldn't really be centered around that. What Beppe Marotta managed to do with Inter is he did bring in your Lukaku's and your Ashraf Hakimi's, um, but he also brought in other players that made the difference as well. You know, even if it is for a short period of time. But right now, for example, Perisic is having the, the, you know, the years of his life, right? And, and it's Matteo Darmian and it's, you know, it was Andrea Pirlo who arrived for free. It was young Paul Pogba. It was Marquisio. It was Vidal for 10, 10 million when Juventus had the greatest midfield and reached the Champions League final. But what you're, what you're asking is how long it takes. I do think it's more than Scudetti. I think it's actually playing in the Champions League repeatedly, which is the home of Milan. Even after Juventus reached the Champions League final in 2015, when the accounts came out in 2016 and Deloitte published it, Milan still made so much more money in commercial revenue and they were nowhere near what Juventus were achieving in sporting terms. So when Nikki says their brand is huge, I mean their brand is huge to the extent they had spoken so often to Real Madrid and inspired each other. I mean, they had ideas to bring in players from different countries, to appeal to different markets, to have games at different times. They are the kings. I mean, the original Italian kings of branding and marketing. So absolutely, I agree with that. Like that is where you are. But I do also see when you're saying at least at the very least, you know, to to keep quality players like Kessie on board and Donnarumma, when you look down on it, what PSG is actually offering to Donnarumma wasn't that much more than what Milan offered. I think that theirs fell down on a point of, we want to make this clear so nobody keeps coming up to us and threatening us with this. Like, this is how much we're going to pay. And we're not going to overpay any of you and start the type of culture that we're not comfortable with. I don't, this is their point of view. I don't know if I agree with it or not. For me, I would have liked to sign and keep my best players. At least then I can have the the, the ability to to sell them and make money from the transfer. So I probably would have done it differently, maybe. But I also understand their point of view in the sense of like, we're going to stick to our ethics. We are a team that, you know, we're not going to pay these ridiculous salaries. We're not going to engage with agents who want too much. Um, We're going to stand firm on how we build the philosophy of this club and be professional at all times and hope that our players understand the big idea and want to be here. And so this is why they also, you know, for every man who walks away from them, they'll also get Sandro Tonali who will say, I will reduce my wages because I'm so desperate to be part of Milan, you know? So I think there's always like a a give and take on that. But when it comes to the stadium, it's huge, right? I mean, like if you, this ties in very nicely, actually, Nikki, with it, with another question, because Daniel from Providence in Rhode Island wrote, Atalanta are making great progress on their stadium renovation. The outcome will be lovely. Given how difficult new stadiums are in Italy, how did they pull this off so well? And tying that in with Nick McGinn and when he's asking about a renewed stadium deal, I mean, this is the reason why like Italy is suffering. And also, it's not just Italian clubs. You can be a very well-run club in Italy or even Spain and not be generating the kind of revenues that the Premier League can or even the Bundesliga just because of the fact that, you know, Germ- the, the economic power of England and uh, United Kingdom and, of course, Germany is just not the same as Spain and Italy, right? 
Um, there are so many different various, you know, whether it's red tape, whether it's freedom of movement, whether it's, you know, just what the country's laws are, they make a difference. And it, it's very hard to operate in certain countries. And this makes a difference, which is why the Super League is the wrong solution. But there is a problem. And that is why they at the time all came together, because there needed to be a way of leveling it all out. Otherwise, it's going to be start, you know, when you see Real Madrid no longer affording Sergio Ramos's contract and having problems and selling off the likes of Ashraf Hakimi and Teo Hernandez because, you know, they need to raise as much money as possible so they can afford one superstar, hopefully in two years' time, and Kylian Mbappe. There's a problem when PSG can buy the best players in the world and not even bat an eyelid. Maybe the answer is not the Super League, and I think the fans have made that clear. But there is a problem, and it's going to be especially hard for Italians who can't even own their stadium and are struggling to find ways around it. Yeah, the stadium isn't issue is a huge one for everyone. It makes me very sad whenever we talk about um, Milan and Inter with that situation because I am crushed by the thought of these teams not playing at San Siro. Or, yeah. uh, it's, it's, I mean, they'll still be in the area to be fair, but in the stadium that has been there, the Meazza, it's, it's absolutely, it's not even one of, it's my favourite stadium in the world to go to. I, I, I never go to that stadium and don't have the hairs on my neck stand up. And that is, despite it being, even now, after several years of, of renovation, still in many ways, uh, not in the best shape. I mean, the toilets are disgusting. <laughs> um, but I would never go. Yeah. I mean, if you can avoid it, you should. Um, uh, I was talking to my cousin who's uh, an Inter season ticket holder and he was saying uh, in his mind, it's a rite of passage the first time you go to the toilets. Of San Cedar, <laughs> and maybe he's right. I don't know. You know, to answer the question that Daniel put about um, how Atlanta managed it, I think um, what you have to remember is that Italy is not a homogenous blob. In fact, as countries go, I think it's a country that's whatever the opposite of homogenous is. You see, look at me. I should know what the opposite, the antonym for homogenous is, but I can't think of it. Um, the, um, the culture, the politics in different parts of the country is drastically, drastically different. Um, if we want to get specific about Atlanta, I could say some things that stood in their favor. They have a president who, Antonio Percassi, who is a local businessman who grew up in, in Bergamo, who understands Bergamo, who has a lifetime worth of connections in Bergamo, who can make the, the personal things happen. On top of that, Bergamo is small. So you're not dealing with all sorts of massive extended politics across a, a vast city, like for instance, happens in Rome. On top of that, Atalanta representing Bergamo, it's basically a one club town, certainly in terms of top level football. So you haven't got, and I'll keep using Rome as the, the contrast is a, a good example, I think of contrast. You haven't got what happens in Rome where genuinely the the real life politics, not just the football politics, but the real life politics of that city are constantly, continuously affected by the football support of whoever ends up as mayor, whoever ends up as the other political um, uh, sort of positions of power in town. And on top of that is, uh, a, you know, some of these bigger cities have also had quite a lot of turnover in terms of mayors and again, other political offices. And so you get one person will tell you, yes, six months down the, the, the six months down the line, they're voted out of office because Italy has overall been through quite a lot of sort of um, 
upheaval politically in the last few years. Six months later, they're voted out of office. In comes the fan of the other team who says, oh, I don't know about this. Oh, here's some other made up report that we've just found that we're going to need you to answer this. We're going to need you to fill in all these extra forms, do these extra risk assessments you didn't think you had to do. I mean, genuinely, the reason that Roma still haven't broken ground after all this time, after having all sorts of money, I mean, we're talking huge sums of money tipped in um, by the um, consortium that was led by Jim Pilotta is politics. It's politics, politics, politics. They stopped that from happening. And that is vastly more complicated in some cities than it is in others. You know, Atalanta are the, 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 the sort of the recent example, I guess, but you could also look at Udinese, who quietly knocked out their own stadium ages ago because, again, small northern town, I think, you know, without um, being too sort of sweeping some of those northern rich towns, it is just easier to get business done because they are towns that have really sort of formed their identity around being efficient business places. Um, and no, again, no competing club that's trying to sort of mess with your business. So they just got on with it. And it's it's that that makes the whole thing so difficult. The the different realities all across Italy that um, apply for some clubs and don't apply for others. But that's not to take away from what Atalanta have done. They are also a well-run club with an, a, a purposeful owner who set out to do it. But certainly the environment has a very, very big impact on that as well. Yeah. And you're right. Sassuolo, for example, is another tiny club, you know, that managed to have its own stadium and, yeah. and build things without too much. But but the Pozzo family, obviously, of Udinese have the right contacts, were able to have the right meetings and, and show their vision. And also Juventus, even though Turin is a big city, they were able to because they work. I mean, maybe it is because they're the annualies. We don't know, obviously, but it is about having a council that's on board with benefiting from a commercial point of view, the industrial town of, of you know, of Torino. Um, and I just, it is so like, it is so awful if we are trying to sell this league as the best when money is becoming so tight and you need new and better stadiums, not just for the clubs, but it would just also be really nice to have Roberto Mancini's team in a in a stadium worthy to to hold them and and, and having nice toilets to go to at the very least. You know? <laughs> um. <laughs> I, now look, I will say at San Siro for sure the changing room toilets are now nice. They've done the changing rooms. They don't. The players don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yes, I mean, but I mean, rights of passage go. But I mean, that was a stadium. Jesus. That's a stadium where you can actually feel the vibrations of it, you know, when, when they score a goal. Yeah. I mean, it is something that you will never, I mean, I love this uh, Sanchez Pichuan, Sevilla's one, but this, this San Siro, San Siro, you know, it's the Bombonera, like as in, you know, when I think of great places that I would really visit, you know, it's the San Siro, if you haven't gone, it really is a rite of passage, but it's a shame that that won't be around just because of the way that it was built and the architecture of it. But it is a huge point in terms of tickets revenue, you know, and it, and yeah, what can I say? Let's let's hope for more. There's one other thing to sort of sort of add quickly on stadiums, which is just right now, everyone who is trying to build a new stadium has the same issue, which is when these clubs are building these stadiums, they're not just thinking of them as match day revenue; they're thinking of them as all through the week revenue. Yeah. And COVID has kicked a massive, great big hole in some of those economic plans. Like, where are you going to get? people who are, you know, looking for more office space if everyone's working from home more than they used to. So that has been 
another thing that's really complicated things for a lot of these clubs as well. And also, like, well, I mean, when you're American, and I do feel so, I mean, Rocco Camiso loves to, you know, talk about Juve and Inter a lot, and he talks a lot maybe, but he has grand plans for Fiorentina, and he wants to keep Vlaovic in his team, and he wants to make the revenue, and he has ideas, and he's got a good team on board. But when they just won't let you open a stadium, when you're willing to invest in the city that is a historically cultural landmark in Italy, I mean, Florence is Florence, right? But it becomes that mm. much harder to attract, you know, these big names and, and t- like big people wanting to invest in the league. All right, next question. Moving on. Regarding Vlavic, just on the off chance he doesn't go to Juventus, which seems the most likely destination to Ted. Sorry, who I didn't introduce before this question. So this is seems the most likely destination to Ted is Juventus for Vlavic. Which club do you think he'd be most suited to in terms of style and squad competition, etc. Is there any chance, say, Bayern or Real Madrid could rival the English Cups for Mina, what do you think of Ted's question? Please, please don't tell me there's another destination for Vlaovic. I mean, have you seen my team right now? Like, we could really do with the Vlaovic, so please make sure that this is the, the, the hor- in, hopefully the destination for this man. But in terms of style and what he's suited to, absolutely, I think that he can play in Barcelona or Real Madrid. I think he is on such a high level. And we spoke about this last week in the sense that, you know, he hasn't been tested in the Champions League. And I think this is something that you're obviously going to give the other youngsters around, those that have impressed us at the highest level. They are playing in the Champions League, but that's not really his fault. Um, And that's kind of why he wants to move on, because he wants to already get to the next stage. But I don't see a team in which he wouldn't suit it. Um, I don't think he'll go to Real Madrid. When they were looking at players, it seems Mbappe is obviously where they want to go. They've made that abundantly clear. I know they like Osman a lot as well. But that's because just of the the style of what they're looking for, Vlaovic and, and Benzema would work beautifully well together, frankly speaking. But they have such great wingers that they need a different type of striker as well. Um but I, I still think he would work. Barcelona simply just can't afford anyone right now. So I don't think that would be the right destination. I think he can work beautifully in Liverpool. I think he can work beautifully in Manchester City. And the reason why I say this is because I'm going to go off what Vincenzo Italiano said. Anyone who trains the way that Vlaovic trains will suit anything and will suit any club and will bring added value to it. Training is the most important thing. And if you give your life and soul in training and and always want to succeed, he arrives early, he's the last to leave. And he has impressed every single coach who's trained him, which says a lot. I mean, even his teammates just sometimes don't know how to to cope because he's so full on when it comes to football and when it comes to succeeding. And also the way he speaks, like him not even wanting to approach Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's his idol when they defeated Milan because he understood what, what Ibra must be going through. I mean, he's a winner. He understands the feelings of a winner. And the way that he trains for me suggests that he can be and, and, and succeed anywhere. So I don't have any problems with that. It's just about where he wants to go, where he thinks the next level is and how often he's going to be played and whether or not it's going to be in the Champions League. But I think it really sucks if he decides to go to Juve and they don't make top four because it's like you're back to where you started, right? Yeah, I mean, he deserves to play in the Champions League. Now, what deserves maybe overstating it? Because I suppose there's lots of footballers who have the quality and and don't necessarily get to play in the competition. But I would like to see him in the Champions League and I think he wants to play in it. So it would be odd for him to go to Juventus and not be in it. 
imagine him and Kiersler together not playing and it would be a strange scenario. I agree with you. I think there's lots of clubs he could play for. I think there's a trap, which I think lots of people fall into, which you see a player who is big and tall and strong and, and you go, oh, he would fit in the Premier League because the Premier League is all about being strong and physical. And funnily enough, I always think, well, yes, but then that just means that those traits mark you apart less in the Premier yeah. League. Now, I think I think he'll be fine in the Premier League because I think he's a very good footballer, but I, I don't know that it's the best destination that he could go to. And I, I think it's funny with those teams that Ted mentions when he says Bayern, I think, oh, you know, could this be the next Lewandowski? The problem is Lewandowski isn't done. Lewandowski no. isn't getting out of the way for anybody. So there's no point going there until he's actually willing to to get out of the way, I think. Um, but, you know, Real Madrid could do worse, certainly, if that's something they're looking for. I mean, again, Benzema's not getting out of the way quite yet, but at least with Benzema, he's, he's a different kind of footballer. And I think you could find ways to combine those two. Lewandowski, I think maybe a bit too similar in who they want to be on the pitch. And while I love the idea of replacing Lewandowski with him eventually, I think as long as Lewandowski's there, that would just mean Vlahovic not playing and that would be a, a bad a bad situation, I think. What do you think of City? Because, I mean, when I think of sort of strikers that anyone really needs, I mean, City's the team that needs the striker the most, right? And he's a number nine who seems like he'd really fit Pep Guardiola's side. Yeah, well, I mean, for a long time, of course, we've had these conversations about does Pep, you know, not like number nines or like classic number nines. And, you know, all I can say is he tried to sign Harry Kane this summer. And for me right now, it's not a knock on Harry Kane, who is a very good footballer. But if I was picking between those two to spend money on, I would spend it on Vlavic because I'm not sure what Kane's trajectory is right now. It hasn't been so good lately. Whereas Vlavic is young and he's he's going to be going in the right direction for a while, I think. So between those two, yeah, I would I would look at Vlavic. You'd, you'd get him for a better price too. Okay. Um, anyway, he's going to Juve, so let's not discuss this. God, I really hope he <laughs> I, I really do hope that they make Champions League if he comes because I just don't think... Otherwise, I think he should go somewhere else because the poor fella needs to play in the highest level and Juve is just not cutting it at the highest level. But maybe he can be the man who makes the difference. Let's move on to the next question. This is from Canal Sony or Canal Sony from Florida. So I don't know if I'm saying that right, but... He asks, hi, Mini, hi, Mini, hi, Mina and Nikki. <laughs> Jesus, I can't even say my own name. He doesn't even know her own name anymore. No, look what's happening. It's all the medicine. Been listening to your podcast since two years and love them. Oh, thank you so much. Question on Italy's. Have you been leaving any of the reviews? Because I'm going to check now because I, I hope you are, <laughs> you know. Anyway. Question on Italy's recent games. Mancini has tried Immobile, Belotti and Insigne, false number nine, for the central striker. Why doesn't he try a big target man from the start? Scamacca, Petania, Lorenzo Luca, who seems most promising, question mark. Wouldn't that give something different to the other little players who pass well? <laughs> the other little players who pass well. <laughs> Is that like Insigne and Belotti? <laughs> We do have some of those. We have some little players who pass well in yeah. Italy. Um, I mean, we did see Skamaka um, at the end of the Northern Ireland game. Um, Skamaka, who we talked about on the um, the main episode this week of the podcast, is starting to make some waves as well. He's one of those players who's been sort of 
a great promise of Italian football going back for a few years and of course went off to to try and play and, and make a success in the Eredivisie as well for a while. So someone who I think has a lot of self-confidence and was quite sort of self-possessed from a young age. And, and I, I'm really intrigued to see more of him now. He's back in City and yes, I definitely think Mancini will be giving him consideration and, and would like that idea at least as an option. I think the sort of answer to why doesn't he try it is probably that up until very recently, he hasn't had good options for that. Um, Patania for me, I'm sorry to say, he's just not at the the level of international football that you want uh, leading your line. He's He's got some qualities. I'm sometimes too harsh on him, but he's not, for me, he's not good enough to lead the line for Italy. Um, so you haven't really had a strong option to do that. Scamacca could be it. Lorenzo Luca, I'm sure a lot of our listeners won't even have heard of. He's 21 years old. He's playing at Pisa in Serie B. He is scoring some goals, maybe. Um, but you've got um, you've got to give these things time, I guess. I think Scamacca is going to get his chance in the next few games, I would have thought. And it will be really interesting to see whether or not a definitely can emerge with him as part of it. Because yes, having at least that variety in your attack, even if it's not your first choice, even if it's your plan B, having that variety in the attack would be really valuable to Italy, I think. Yeah, and, and to be honest, Mancini has been going to scout Lorenzo Luca. He's a big fan. So I wouldn't be that surprised if we mm-hmm. saw him. Um, I think, yeah, it's like you said, like Mancini had, I mean, the team didn't have any trouble scoring goals. They were just scoring goals for fun a lot of the time, you know, whether it was from midfield or whether from their strikers. It's just obviously been in recent matches, actually, ever lo- ever since. And here's the, the funny thing. Ever since we lost Spinazzola, Italy has been somewhat different in an attacking sense. So, you know, when you look at Italian coaching, the substitutes always make the difference in the sense that sometimes, you know, Ancelotti used to change his wingbacks to get more goals, like his fullbacks rather, sorry. Or it is sometimes about making sure the tactical balance is there so everything works from an offensive point too. It's not always just the striker that makes a difference. Um, I will always really like Immobile because I think people don't, notice how much he works for the team and, and I would always like him to start and frankly I don't want too much changing for the playoffs because I mean it's worked well I, I like believe in what you have you know stick to your methods and then start experimenting after we qualify for the World Cup <laughs> you know I'm I'm not happy to do that beforehand but Skimak is being looked at Jao Pedro is another one that they're looking to give an Italian passport to and hopefully bring on board um, but I'm still someone who really loves watching when it's all like, you know, when there isn't a reference point, it's a little bit like Chelsea. I mean, it was really funny how in the, in the, when Juventus had lost both Dybala and Morata before they were going to take on Chelsea, um, at home and Allegri just looked like he was beaming. And I thought, what are you smiling about? We're going to get crushed, you know? And Juventus didn't. I mean, I don't know what happened to Chelsea there, but they didn't. But, you know, Chelsea didn't have a striker. And yes, they brought on Timo Werner, but having everyone just move and the fluidity and the, and the mobility and everything they did with the runners and Zayek, and, oh, that can be so beautiful to watch. I don't know. I'm just not big on strikers. I'm starting to see more and more what Pep Guardiola likes. <laughs> so maybe I will finally be a fan. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think that's all we've got for today's episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed this Sarah Chronicles Q and 
A. Don't forget to keep those questions coming on in on Twitter at Seriacron Pod with the hashtag Chronicles QA. I thought these were, I mean, they're always great questions, but I thought these were really great questions this week. So thank you everyone who sent me those yeah. questions, by the way. I really enjoyed this chat. Subscribe to the Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Find us both on Twitter at Mickey Bandini, at Mina Rizuki. Leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Mina, what do we say about that? The very best reviews or I'll come for you. (laughs) (laughs) Or she'll come for you. Um, Or wherever else you get your podcasts, not just Apple Podcasts. We will be back for you guys with a special guest on um, Tuesday, probably. We record on Monday, but coming into your your, um, podcast inbox on Tuesday. But for now, ciao. I thought that was a really good Q&A. I really like those questions. Yeah, the q is so good. I love these types of stuff. Did you see, I don't know, I retweeted this GIF that that Nima put up. I was on the floor. It wasn't subtle. I work for a lot of you know major broadcasts. Nah, no one's big head. Just retweet this. It's so funny. I laughed. I laughed. Sports Social Podcast Network.